And we're back, episode four of the round table. Um, five new movies got picked. Five, we all watched them, hopefully, and now we'll talk about them. Uh, basically, the same three, me, Scott, and Brian are here. We brought Mike Hanley with us and Thomas Scully. Um, and Scully did not pick a fandom movie. Shocking. He watches other things. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, first, we'll go Scott. Scott, what movie did you bring with that? How are you feeling? I'll ask you how you are today. Thank you. I'm good. I missed the last one, obviously. Although, after seeing the movie selections from last time, I'm not really sorry that I missed the last one. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I think it was probably a little bit fortunate for me. But tonight, I brought uh, the film Phoenix. It's a German movie <coughs> from 2014. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you want me to say more than that at this <laughs> point. But yeah, that's the movie I brought uh, Brian, our person that helps us find 80s and 90s movies that no one heard of but has outstanding cast. Um, Brian, how are you feeling today and what movie did you bring? Um, I'm feeling all right, feeling all right. Um, I had to actually look and remember what movies we're talking about today because it's been kind of a while. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's, I brought another 90s movie. Um, and it's not obscure. I mean, it's got a big cast to it, a lot of no names, but it's just uh, one that's underseen, underrated. And that is 1994's The Paper. Nice, nice. Uh, Scully, welcome. How are you doing? And what movie did you bring? Yeah, I'm doing good. This is this is this will be fun. I got to watch a bunch of new movies that I, I either never heard of or have heard of, but like never just got to. Um, but yeah, I chose the 2017 film The Death of Stalin. Uh, one of my favorite comedies of all time, um, and criminally underwatched as well. And you're muted. Muted. Wow, that's a really good start. Um, the next person, uh, we're not live, uh, but the person that watches mo- probably more movies than all of us in a given year, uh, Mike Hanley. I'm pretty sure you still you say you have a job. I've yet to see it. I think you just watch movies for a living. Uh, but Mike, what'd you bring? And how are you doing? Uh, doing, you know. And I brought uh, Targets from uh, 1968 with Boris Karloff. Good show. Yeah. Um, and this is coming out when you're watching this. It'll be around the Christmas season. Uh, I brought Happiest Season. Um, it's a yeah, it was Happy Season. It's from a Hulu. It's a Hulu exclusive, I think, or like it came out on Hulu. I don't think it ever had to work. Uh, but uh, that's the one I brought today. And I'm feeling okay. I just got over like when everybody. This episode just behind the scenes. We're supposed to film a week ago. <clears throat> Two people had things come up and couldn't do it. I was also completely under the weather at the exact same time. So it was a perfect time. I've just gotten over it. So <clears throat> I'll be coughing throughout this entire episode. But we're going to start with the Christmas season, the happiest season. Um, so I picked the happiest season. I watched it when I went like into a whole total deep dive. I think last year I watched like 60, 70 like, Christmas movies or shorts or something around the season just to find like – Movies that some I haven't seen, some old favorites, and I stumbled across this one. And basically, if it had like Christmas lights or Christmas trees and snow was falling, there's a good chance I was watching it last year. And The Happiest Season was one of them. This movie is now instantly in my rotation. I think it's a, I think it's a blast. It falls into some um, some tropes and stuff, but overall, I think the overall message around Christmas, I I have a ton of fun with it. Um, so we'll just go 
Initial thoughts to Happy Season. Anybody hear about it before that I picked this? Have anybody seen it prior? Let it go. Yeah, I mean, I I saw like the the um the not the previous, but like the, the marketing for this one was huge, especially if you had if you had Hulu. Um, anybody who had Hulu saw this blasted on their ads everywhere when they were trying to watch something else. Um, never got to it last year. I love to and then with and then I saw it. You know, of course, just now this year. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, I I had a really fun time. I think there are some moments where I think it maybe gets a little too down and too and and too depressing at, at times. But I think ultimately, I really enjoyed like the last. 30 minutes and the way it kind of rounds itself out. I know like a lot of people have issues with, 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 you know, like the, the forgiveness of the family and things like that. But there are a lot of themes in there that I think are, 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 are universal for people with, 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 with big families. Um, like I know like w- w- with my family, I, I have a side of the family has like five siblings and they all you know c- c- kind of go back and forth like the, the three sisters do. So it, it 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 was a lot of like oh I've I've definitely heard like this kind of conversation before I I I've seen these riffs before in real life so that part kind of hit home for me and I kind of I, I kind of like that it showed a side of Christmas that I, that that we're not shown often but it's one that I think everyone has witnessed at some point. Oh, yeah. go ahead if you have any. Uh, so I've seen it already. Um, I watched it. Last year came out 2020, I believe, but I didn't watch it until last year. Um, I'm not that big of a Christmas or holiday movie person, um, but I do love Kristen Stewart, so I wanted to watch it for that reason. Um, And I think it's great. I I really think this movie is great after seeing it twice now. You know, I I agree with Cody that if, if I have something that is a rotation for Christmas, again, I'm not really that into Christmas movies i mainly just watch christmas vacation and now little women but um you know I, this is one which i would happily throw on um every christmas and probably not get tired of it you know it is a feel-good movie it does have the sentimental happy ending that scully's kind of talking about but i think the way that it gets there is somewhat interesting um and maybe not exactly what you'd expect and obviously um you know, has a lot to do with the fact that it is an LGBT romance and um, which is, again, is not really something that you see in Christmas movies. Actually, you know, when you think about Christmas movies, sometimes you think about Hallmark movies. And for a very long time, they were notably like all of the relationships in those movies were heterosexual. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like this movie was kind of deliberately positioned as an alternative to that. Um because obviously that's not the case. I think the cast is really fun. I mean, I think Kristen Stewart is the standout for me. Like, I think she's really, really likable in this movie, but everybody's really good. We have to talk about the Aubrey Plaza stuff at some point because it's a huge talking point from this movie. Um, but I think I think it's good. I'm willing to forgive some of the tropiness and the fact that it's it does have this ending where like maybe if you think about it too hard, it, you know, it has some, it's a little morally questionable. I'm willing to forgive it because at the end of the day, it's a Christmas movie and nobody wants to like walk out of a Christmas movie and be like depressed. Um, so yeah. I think the forgiveness is necessary. I, I think, I think I don't we describe it. I think, yeah, the tropes are very something that doesn't like rise to a whole huge star for me. I think there's some stuff that I'm just like, this is a little, little bit ridiculous, 
But also, I understand the ending. I think the ending was a little bit questionable for some people. I think overall, especially, like, I think it hits in different, different demographics, too. Like, a town like mine, that would probably be at least a little bit, like, hush-hush, a person running for office or something like that. I live in Missouri. And it's crazy to see how that family reacts, where it gets tropey. And even, like, at the end, like, I'll get to the ending of it, when... <clears throat> the sisters outing the other sister and the, then they're going back and forth and like Kristen Stewart stands by the door and she goes, she's lying. And Kristen Stewart gets denied like again. I think it was like a really big moment when uh, I can't think of the actor's name. He's in Shits Creek. He's in a few other Dan things, Levy. but Dan Levy. Yeah. Dan Levy. he goes out and he goes, how did your family react when you said it? And mm. like, they were supportive. Not everybody has that. Like, don't, you're not seeing it from our side. It's such a hard thing. So I thought that was the true message and brought it all back. There's some, like, the sister moments. But I think this movie is actually funny. I think this movie has a lot of comedic moments in it that make me laugh throughout it. I think the big family. Um, what's the mom? Who plays the mom? Trivia for her. Maritine Virgin. Like, a typical mom around the holidays from, like, a, a, a like this side of the, to, like, the family because like how somebody walks in the house and goes, Oh, you're the ex wish somebody would have told me that, but that's fine. Go in there. Like she's here to please, but she's able to like to flip out and lose her mind because she has to do everything. And she tells the dad at the end, she's like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> it's just a uh, real funny Brian, your overall thoughts about watching it. Have you seen it? Did you see it prior? Well, I had actually first seen it in July of 2020. I watched an, they had like an online preview screening for it, like a test screening kind of thing for it. They had like unfinished special effects and everything, which it's weird how much they add like Christmas lights and things in the background scenes you don't even realize are special effects. But um, nice. so I'd seen it then, but I hadn't watched it again until now, until recently for this for the show. Um, when I saw it the first time, I, you know, I was, I went into it a little hesitant because I'm not a Kristen Stewart fan. Um, not just because of the Twilight thing, but even her dramas are just not my kind of thing. Um, but I like the supporting guests. I like Mackenzie. Well, I like Mackenzie Davis also in the lead. Um, Dan Levy, who I didn't know much at the time, but because I, I had not seen Shit's Creek yet at then, but I've I've seen it since then. Uh, Jake McDornan, who I like from a lot of TV shows like Limitless, there's a short-lived comedy called Manhattan Love Story. I liked it was on. Um, so I I went into it kind of not knowing if I was going to enjoy it. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, though. I mean, there there are there are flaws to it. I mean, there's a couple of characters like the, the mall security. And even the young, younger sister, to an extent, are playing it a little too broad, like they're all in a different movie, um, some things like that. But um, it's it's got comedy to it. It's got a lot of heart to it. I actually feel like I, I really enjoyed the ending. I think that Dan Levy's speech at the end about coming out yeah. and then that that moment when she does come out uh, to her family, I think that that ending scene actually raised my final rating at the end of the day because it just uh, until then, I mean, I enjoyed it. But I think that part kind of gave it that emotional oomph to it I really liked. Um I will. I, I think Allison Brie was wasted in this movie because they take such a likable person and they make her into like this super bitch, which I know is kind of the point of the character. But it's like you know, it's you can't take a character like that and like not play into her strengths. But uh, but I mean, I, I liked it. I like the relationships to it. Um, it's one that I can see myself watching most holidays. Nice, um, Mike. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually agree with. Uh... Brian, that the ending definitely lifted it up for me. Even though it ended very tropey, like you would expect this type of movie to end, I think it did it very well. And the lead up, like Scott had said, the lead up to it, I think 
I, I enjoyed how it went, the twists and turns of the different approaches they took throughout. And Dan Levy, I, I absolutely loved in this. I, I have not seen Schitt's Creek yet, but I have seen like previews of uh, like commercials and stuff promoting that. So I've seen him in those and I've seen his little comedy bits, but seeing him full on in there, it was good shit. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I just also love how much they play up until, like, you're an orphan. You probably never had a Christmas oh, tree. Yeah. You probably, and then she's like, I had a family. Like, my family loved Christmas. Like, you know, she's like, and, how did you, and then, like, they put down at the table, and her, like, ex shows up. And then she, like, sits the chair, and it's, like, completely a different level chair. And she just has to sit there. So the situational comedy they're able to play into, I think, is just was really yeah. top-notch. And I will say, I was also, I kind of agree with Brian that I'm not, wasn't a huge fan of Mary Holland, who plays the younger sister and um, was, also wrote the movie, co-wrote the movie. Um, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> but I do think oh. she has one hilarious line at the end when everyone has given up their secrets and she says, I don't have any secrets, but I am an ally. <laughs> um, I thought that was a hilarious line. Oh, she, she definitely has her moments, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when like, she's like describing the when she's describing the book and like reading it, it goes, You're still not finished with that. It's, it's, you gotta build a world. Um The only uh, thing I don't I understand about this about this movie is this this guy running for mayor is is so concerned about his image and everything, and they have to keep this, you know, this they, they want to keep the gay thing hush hush in a town that seemingly has a very busy and popular <laughs> drag bar in it. So yeah. it's like, how conservative is this town? <laughs> I think that's. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, "Well, apparently they're not a. This is just the one spotlight." Yeah. I I think one of my favorite. I think uh, I think I think my favorite thing about the film is that it presents this idea that around the holidays, especially, everyone's trying to put on a show. Everyone's trying to like put on a good face yeah. because they don't just like. It, 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 it's beyond the whole like nice clean cut family bit. It, it's about, it's Christmas time, it's the holiday, this is a time of, of joy and a time of happiness and it has to be perfect, it must be perfect. And I think for so many people who watch the movie, they can relate to that in ways that, you know, if you ever have a big family Christmas, like every family has a Mary Seamberg. Every family has an Allison Brie. Every family has a Victor Garber. Everyone has that matriarch who's trying to make everything perfect, not just for everyone, but for themselves too, to kind of mask like who they really are. Because I think it, it shows a little bit of the hypocrisy of the holidays and how people act around it and the way they kind of peel that back bit by bit with each family member, especially at the end where, where, where like they all like tell, where they all tell each other like the, the truth, especially when Steenbergen tells Garber like, you know, I, I took karate one time, but I never finished. But I want to keep taking it. I I think that's such a, a a nice moment of of people coming to terms with themselves, especially at a time of year where people just don't act like themselves. Yeah, I again, I wanted to bring it up because I think of the holiday season like the, some people don't find a lot of rotation, or some don't move off the same classics they've watched for the last, you know. 10 plus and that's why I did it last year. I'm not doing this crazy this year. I have no desire to watch <clears throat> anything with Christmas lights or Christmas trees anymore. I just, I found my favorites and I'll just stick with them. Lucky the rest of you guys that didn't pick uh, uh, Ron Howard's uh, instant classic, uh, The Grinch Stole Christmas. But, uh, There's no danger of me choosing that one. 
Oh, no, that was going to be for me. I thought about it. I thought about long and hard, but I decided to save everybody because I didn't want to hear any slander. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but I, again, go ahead. I was just saying, I do think we have, before we, if we, before we move on, we have to talk yeah, about yeah. the Aubrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza thing mm. because it was such a big topic when the movie came out of people saying that they wish that Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza had gotten together um, instead of oh. her ending up with um, with Harper, with Mackenzie Davis in the end. Personally, I don't agree with that um, I don't because I think I think they're just friends and I, I don't think we have to like ship them because, you know, because it's possible or whatever, because they like get along well. Um, and I think that the movie is better because it does like do the more difficult task, I think, of trying to make you like Harper, who you don't like for most of the movie. And that's the Dan Levy scene is like, you actually have to empathize with her for a second of like, well, coming out is just, is not, it's not something that she can just do, right? It, it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do about her feelings towards um, Kristen Stewart. It doesn't mean that it's not a serious relationship and that she doesn't care about her. It's just, there's a whole nother side to it. It's not just a, a switch that you can flip. So I think it, it's a better movie because it tries to make you empathize with a character that might be hard to empathize with but obviously you know aubrey plaza i think like really kind of steals the scenes that she's in and you can understand why people might like be shipping them but well, i was one of those I don't, people they're... honestly i think i think that that last scene is kind of what what turned me because i mean the whole movie i was kind of think well once the character was introduced and you kind of saw them together i'm like i would why don't those two just get together they're clearly you know, it, it, at this point, make a better couple kind of thing. But obviously, it's not how it's going to end because, you know, that you're not going to have the main couple break up in the Christmas movie. But um, it's it's like, okay, it's not that, she, that uh, Harper's a bad person. It's just that she's clearly not ready, you know, to be in an open, an openly gay relationship like, like, uh, like Aubrey Plaza's character is. And so the whole movie, I'm kind of thinking, I would kind of rather see those two together. They seem like a better couple. They seem happier together. But it was that kind of that ending speech and everything with with Dan Levy who kind of you know turns me around and it's like okay she's you know she'll be ready in her own time she wants to be able to you know come out when she's ready to do it and, and so that that yeah. kind of turned me on it I think that's the interesting fact too is because as much as he's telling Kristen Stewart the same thing he's telling the audience the exact same thing yeah because we're all like what the crap and she's like he's like it's not as easy as it seems yeah. to everybody else like her two worlds collided on Thanksgiving on Christmas and she wasn't ready for the world collide. She loves her as much as she says she loves her, but she also loves her family. And that's all she's got. Like, you gotta, if, you, and I was, and that's what made the realization. I didn't know that was a thing of the shipping, but I understand why. I think it would have went down for me <clears throat> if they would have got together, because then the whole point of the movie, I just don't, like, yeah. she goes to the town and then that's, that's just weird. Uh, we are going to move on to the next movie. I'm going to, I figured out how to attack this because. Two did movies. Did you want ratings on this or no? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead over with ratings. Um, we'll start with we'll start with Scott. You've already seen it. Yeah, four stars. Um, I stick with four stars. I think, like Cody was saying, if you are like lamenting that there are no new like contemporary holiday movies that are as good as the classics, I think like here's here's an example of one that might be. Uh, I also gave it four. Um. Anyway, I thought it was going to go up a little bit, but it stays. It stays at four. I think it's a solid film. I think it's around this time of year. Uh, Brian, 
I gave it a three and a half. Scully? Um, I went back and forth between three and a half and four. <coughs> I think ultimately, like, upon, like, having the film digest, I, I, I brought it more towards the three and a half just because there weren't a lot of moments that really stuck in my head a lot. And for especially for a holiday film to make my quote-unquote rotation, you kind of have to have that. So I kind of fell back on the three and a half there. Sir, Mike? Yeah, I went to three and a half. Uh, I think it's a pretty good fucking movie. You know, um, great holiday movie to just have fun with for sure. But yeah, overall, just no, pretty good. Just no treasure planet. All right. Exactly. Um, uh, so this 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 episode was really hard to like break down and like see where we're going because I would say two movies are easy to digest. Two movies are not so easy to digest in the best way possible. So I want to get this one and not get it out of the way, but I think I want to talk about this one more and I'm going to just lean towards Scott movies and movies, ne- movie next and Phoenix. Uh, so Scott, uh, talk about it, uh, why you picked it and stuff like that. Sure. So just to get people like a brief plot, I'm not going to get a whole lot into it um, because I think you should watch it and let it reveal itself, you know, on your own. But um this is a movie about a woman played by Nina Haas who uh, comes back from a concentration camp. Um, World War II has ended and she has survived, um, but she has her face has been horribly disfigured and um, she asked for facial reconstruction surgery and she wants to look as much like her old self as possible. Um, but the doctors aren't able to to make it a one, you know, one in one match. And so she looks kind of like herself but isn't really recognizable anymore. And she decides to try and seek out her husband, who at least some people believe was the one that actually sold her to the Nazis in the first place. Um, But her, uh, of course, her husband, when she finds him, does not actually know that it is her. Um, And he is wanting to collect on sort of the reparations that the German government has paid to Jewish people because of, you know, the Holocaust. And... So he decides to, he asks her to basically pose as his wife, not knowing that it is actually her, um, so that they can try to collect this money. And so it becomes a sort of Hitchcockian um, story of like, you know, mistaken identity and intrigue. And, you know, there's this political context to it, which really adds to the movie for me. But I picked the movie. It's one of my favorite movies at this point. Um, I think it's, a movie that obviously doesn't get talked about a lot in the community. Um, I think, you know, because it's an international film, perhaps um, it's just not one that, I mean, it, it's an underrated movie in general, but um, I think it's such a fascinating story. Like, again, it really captures that Hitchcockian feel really well. And I like how not only is it an, an individual story between these two people and, you know, discovering each other again, Um, and like the secrets that they're hiding. But it's also kind of a metaphor for the entire experience of Jewish people at this time of trying to like reassimilate into Germany, right? Like the the war is over and they've been rescued, but now it's like, what are we going to do? Are we just going to go back to Germany and live around the corner from the people who did, you know, this heinous thing to us? And that's really the dilemma that her friend is having in the movie that she's staying with but um so their relationship is kind of also has that that greater context of like this is also kind of the relationship that jews are having to germany in general at this time um 
So I think it's a fascinating story. I think Nina Haas gives an amazing performance and it's, it is a little bit of a slow build though. It's not a long movie, but I think the end makes it all worth it. Like the last 15 to 20 minutes of the movie are just devastating and powerful. And it is one of my favorite endings. And I talked about it on top 100 scenes last week, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I thought this movie was a lot better than I anticipated. If I will say I had me and Scott, uh, definitely go, I wouldn't say go back and forth, but Scott is either like hit or miss for me most times with the movies he picks, and that's just because we have different tastes. We have some similar tastes, but we also have some wildly different tastes. Um, And I think this just hit a lot of subject matters I enjoy overall. Um, I like the time frame. I like that part, that point in history, even though it's a very dark time in history. I just enjoy listening about it. And this had such like complex layers. Um, I actually went back, um, and I suggest anybody else, I think it's on our 40 through 31 of Top 100, uh, Scott talks about the ending <clears throat> to this movie. I suggest you go back and listen, because I went back and watched it after it, and I couldn't agree more. It probably would make my list. Um, now, after a one-time view, I think the ending is absolutely incredible. So, like, that's a crazy ending to have. Um, and I think how you get there and what the level, and I didn't think I would, like, overall love the story, but I ended up really enjoying it um, for the ride. Anybody else have any thoughts prior to this? Like, once you read the synopsis and stuff, I think you're like, oh, like, this is a really interesting, like, idea before a film. I read the synopsis before I went in to watch it, and I knew I was going into a slow burn type of movie. So I went into that with that mindset. It still got to me though like the just the slowness of it of going that kind of drove me down i do agree though that the last 15 minutes are incredible and it definitely boosted it up for me seeing the end be that ending it was i was not expecting it i thought they did it extremely well and i also i do love the actual beginning too with um uh, them in the car and being approached and just that um psychological tear that she's going through of having to reveal her face, and we as an audience don't actually see the face. They cut away from it, which I think is brilliant. So I had never heard of this movie, and so when, when Scott picked it, I went to read the synopsis of it, and of course, the first thing I read is a disfigured concentration camp survivor, and I'm just thinking, oh, fuck, this is such a Scott movie. Um, what's it making me watch this time? Uh, so, you know, because I, you know, so I read the read the synopsis and it says he's searching for a husband that, and I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm going to tolerate this. I'll watch it, whatever. Um, what right. I didn't know, what the synopsis doesn't give away is what really intrigued me is, is that moment when you realize that uh, he does not recognize, or she finds him, he doesn't recognize her, but he wants her to play the role of his wife mm-hmm. in that whole thing. See, now that if they had told me that up front, that would have super intrigued me because that's, that's the twist that really got me. And I was, I was very interested in the movie kind of from that point on. Um, so I, I didn't fully understand her motives, I guess, for going along with it. Cause I'm like, if she loves him, she could easily prove it with her handwriting or her memories or whatever. If it was because she was trying to find out if he really loved her or not, you know, if she's trying, why she was keeping his secret. I mean, the minute, if she found out he didn't, she could just take the money and run because she found out they're divorced. So I, I didn't quite understand a couple of, of her, her motives for going along with it, but, uh, but it definitely added just the fact that she was that, that he didn't know that it really was her and he's got her playing her. It, I, I thought that was a, a very uh, intriguing way to go about it. So it, it, it held my attention. Yeah. I've, I <clears throat> had never heard of this film. The synopsis 
did make me go like, all right, this is going to be, I'm going to have to pay attention 100% uh, on this one. And it is absolutely a slow burn. And there were, there were a lot of times where I feel like I, I, I felt like I, I could have, you know, it kind of telegraphed itself where it was going. I think particularly the moment where he points out the, the serial number on the arm when when he points that out, I'm like, okay, that's that's probably going to be how she, how 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 he finds out because that's something that you really can't hide or scrape off because it would just be too obvious. Um, and again, the ending is 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 fantastic. I think that whole the whole thing with with the, with the train and the friends, especially the the one friend who doesn't seem too happy to see her because p- people in his family also died. So yeah. that was like a moment where I'm like, all right, like already this is not going as planned, but like, and I think that moment you kind of see how much of a shit Johnny is. Like he really doesn't care about the rest of them. He just cares about her money as, as like, like getting her money. Um, it did fall into a lot of uh, like, it, it reminded me of, of, of Vertigo a, a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. And particularly the parts of Vertigo I don't like, where I think it gets incredibly demented and 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 sadistic, and I'm like, Jesus Christ! Like this is this is just going on. This is just way too much. So a lot of heavy stuff that I didn't love, but from a filmmaking aspect, it is incredibly well done. I knew it was going to be heavy once it said Holocaust um, Survivor. Like, that just, overall, you never are going to No, I know. This one, that, wasn't a shot, that wasn't a shot at you. I just knew reading that. I will say, we've all said it was like a slow burn, but I, I mean, this is an hour 30, which, thank God, because yeah. this movie could have easily been like a two, two and a half, and I would have been, I would have been along with everybody. It, it, uh, I'm normally the one that taps on this the plug. <clears throat> um, but, um, Scott, uh, you were about to say something, so I don't want to, because I want to deep dive into the ending a little bit, but go ahead. I was just going to say to Brian's point that um, I do think there is a feeling of like, here's your chance to like be a fly on the wall, like observing the person that you, you know, love, like who wouldn't, you know, love to to be in that position and like see what people think about you and what they're saying about you, like. When they think well, I can not. see that, but she's but if she's like in love with him and she she wants to be reunited with her husband, you think that when she sees him, her first thing wouldn't be like mm, maybe I should spy on him for a while. But you know? but I think there is is a, also the issue of her friend right is telling her he's the one who sold you out to the Nazis right. So mm-hmm. I think there is a part of her, and she's denying it. She's like, no, I I don't believe that he is. I think there is a part of her that wants to disprove that right and yeah so, I, so that I got that for a while but especially once i found out they, they were they were divorced i'd be like when, when he divorced her i'd have been like okay i'm taking my money and getting out of here you know which is yeah. essentially what she did just took a little longer sure. mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean again i i like the the greater political context to it uh, of like you know like i was saying jews trying to reassimilate into society after this horrible thing has happened and um that last scene is him recognizing her, but it's also like you could see it as this is Germany like being confronted with what it did, right? With the horrors of what it did. And you can't cover that up, right? You could change the face, you can do, you know, whatever, but 
there's going to be a mark that is left for the I, know, I think another, rest of human history. Yeah. I think another political aspect that I enjoyed was I think all throughout the film they keep talking about like, hey, we have there, there, there's new settlements in Palestine where we can go and Jews can be free. And all throughout the film, I'm thinking like, wow, they they like they like they really thought it was like just this happy holy land where where, where they can go and there would be no conflict mm-hmm. whatsoever. Like it's 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 it, it was pretty incredible to see the mindset behind those people and what they thought those areas would be and to think all these years later what it is now so i think i think that's a i wouldn't call it an easter egg but i would say it's 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 a, it's a little bit of an insight as to what those people and what they went through were thinking of when they were told about these settlements and essentially why they were so desperate to get there and then in, in contrast to to those to the to the others who kind of felt like they could just reassimilate back into society and just get their money like nothing ever happened. Like it's it's such an interesting it's a thought provoking look into how kind of each person was different in that in that era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Okay. It's so good. Yeah. I also love the train scene and I'm glad you mentioned that one. Just the way that she's just like silent there like when everyone is coming up to her and she's like having to in some on some level play the wounded concentration camp person but also she's you know relying on her own experiences like she's re-experiencing it again right the the feeling of coming back um and so there's a lot going on in the performance there too from nina haas who's also in tar this year which everyone should see it's great. Um, I uh, the ending is the one thing I want to like really because you brought up on Wild Left and I couldn't agree. This the one. I think it's the one thing that this movie is like. I wouldn't say it's the only thing in the movie, but it's the it's the major standout. I think at the end. I think it's. I think it does an ending perfectly. Um, and the facial um, expressions. I can't think of the actor that plays the husband, um, but yeah. like I can't think he's like. The real the realization that takes over in that scene of like you can see like his entire world crumbling like like in front like and as she sings she's like first like oh that sounds really familiar like yeah. that sounds like and then he's like and then it just goes into it. I think it's just a brilliant way to reveal like technically like what he probably should have known like you know picked up on at some point but he never they never do i just think i thought it was incredible like where i was in the movie i think like, this is really good and then the ending just was like that's crazy like i just thought it was crazy yeah i guess everybody else thought the similar or did anybody else did the ending not hit for you the same way i'm curious i i oh go ahead go ahead Mike. oh uh the ending definitely it for me and especially the uh scully had brought it up earlier the technical aspect especially towards the ending with the shots and the lighting i thought was done fucking very well i i felt like i i really liked that scene i like the ending scene you know where he's playing the piano and then he realizes you know that it's her but it, it just felt like though it like hit this climax with no denouement it's like i feel like there there was like another scene missing after that with, which I mean, I, I guess you know, I know what they were going for. Which is kind of the ending, like just like this is it. It hits him, and she walks out, and it's over. But uh, I just, 
personally, I just felt like I'm like, there should be one more scene with seeing him try to, I don't know, talk his way out of it, to deal with it, you know, to see her, her reaction to him, you know, when she's not hiding behind the facade. But she's gone. I mean, at the end of the movie, I mean, she walks out and I don't, you know, I don't know if they ever see each other again. Honestly, I think the ambiguity is some of what's good about it is like they they can't really go back now that he he knows the truth. It's the sum that one closure and the sum that just one limited blank of the span. I I liked where it left, but I'm I'm with Brian. I said I would I wouldn't mind him trying to like explain, which you can't explain. Like there are some scrummy things to do, but he did the ultimate. Um, she, she walked I, out. The I, rest I, of those people are still there, and I see them were tearing me one. One other neat connection was it was towards the beginning. I remember her saying that. You know, she never wants to sing another German song again. And I think her singing in all English at the end was another very powerful statement. Like, yeah, definitely. I've completely rejected you and you, you, the whole part of my life that that was you now that I, I, I know the truth. And it's just like this powerful, uh, you know, uh, uh, fi uh, figurative mic drop to walk out. I think how Scott basically, and I didn't take it this way at first, but now Scott explained it makes perfect sense, is basically like Germany. You can change my face, you can put everything on, you can make me up, but the scar still remains. Like, it's there. Like, and you can't, you can't do it. I think that was a brilliant way to take it. Um, <clears throat> ratings on Phoenix. Scott, I know I went to you first last time, but I'll go to you again. Sure. It's five stars. I think it's uh, a brilliant movie. It would be in my top 100 now. It wasn't when I originally did it, but it is now. Uh, we'll go Scully. I, I honestly, it's, it's it's one of those movies that I respect more than I love. So I'll, I'll give it the, I, 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 I gave it a three and a half just because it goes a lot into the, the, the vertigo stuff that I just, I it just left a bad taste in my mouth. But again, from a, a technical standpoint, from a filmmaking standpoint, very well done. I'm also three and a half. Um, uh, I think it could go up, but I really, like, as much as I talk about how much I enjoyed it, I mean, it's still, like, three and a half. I've given, I think, Scott would be two and a half, two, so it is on the rise. Um, Mike? I gotta go uh, three. I gotta go third. Okay. Uh, like well, maybe on WeWatch, uh, since I know what I'm getting into now, it could go up <coughs> 3.5, but for now, three. Do yourself a favor, Scott. Don't ever go look at his ratings because what he has at three and a half and four will make you throw up. No, I, I, um, I don't get offended. Everyone has their own scales. <laughs> well, this is the most generous scale on the place <laughs> on the planet. Um, <laughs> um, and Brian. Right. Uh, I gave it a three as well. It's like it's it's like Scully said. It's kind of one of those I expect more than I enjoy. But I think everybody could have guessed this isn't really a Brian movie. You know when they when they pick it out. Um, but for me uh, on my scale, a three is actually kind of like, for me like average leaning good. So nobody. All right. Me. Yeah. Plus, uh, we are going to the paper next. Um, uh, Brian, go ahead. Tell us um, why you brought it. Okay, so the paper is a movie that I think most people haven't heard of, or those who have haven't seen it, because like pretty much nobody has it logged on Letterbox, uh, or at least didn't before. 
Um, this is uh, Michael Keaton's best movie about newspapers. Yes, better than Spotlight. I think Spotlight's a bit overrated. Uh, Cody can take that. Um, <laughs> it is a very different movie, though. Um, this is uh, Ron Howard directed this in 1994. So it's like after uh, like Far and Away, but before Apollo 13. So he's kind of moving into more dramatic movies. Um, but this one, though, is it's a dramedy. It's it's not an all out drama like Spotlight is. Um, it's kind of a it's a basically a day in the life of this newspaper, um, which the, the main story follows this. Uh, there's this uh, two like white, like uh, uh, Wall Street type guys were killed. And these two black kids who happen to come across the body in the neighborhood, uh, they're basically getting accused of, of having murdered them. Um, and of course, uh, the, the paper wants to run that, you know, that, that, that they got him and everything. Um, but Michael Keaton, especially is leading the charge saying, no, we don't got him. You know, we can ruin these kids' lives. We have to get all the facts first, things like that. And there's a whole, you know, kind of a story I won't get into in case there's spoilers. Um, but they, they, they're, they're kind of investigating the true motives behind these murders and basically trying to, to keep these kids from being falsely accused. Um, the big thing about this movie is the cast. I mean, you have Michael Keaton, you have Robert Duvall as the editor of the paper, Glenn Close, Marissa Tomei, Randy Quaid before he went completely nuts, although he's kind of nuts in this movie. He's Maybe he's on his way there. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you got smaller roles by everybody from Catherine O'Hara, Jason Robards, Spalding Gray yeah, shows yeah. up in this movie. Um, it just goes on and on. Um, of course, Clinton Howard has to show up because it's a Ron Howard movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the cast is just what makes it what it is. I think everybody plays their characters perfectly. I think that there's a perfect balance for this kind of movie of, of drama versus comedy. It never... It never gets too crazy with comedy where it's like unbelievable, where it's being slapsticky, but it's still tons of fun. Um, but then those dramatic moments don't get so dark that it feels like it's it's uh, at odds with the comedy moments. It feels like it blends very well. Um, I also feel like this movie feels very much like a time capsule um, for the time it came out because, I mean, now obviously newspapers are all but dead. I mean, they exist, but, <laughs> um, but, but they don't kind of have that whole stop the presses kind of mentality to it. Um, the cell phones didn't exist here. So people are running around trying to, trying to beat things, trying to stop things from happening, trying to find information, but they have to be out on the street, you know, doing the interviews and that because cell phones didn't exist at the time. Um, so it, I think it just, it's very much a product of its time. It's kind of a nice snapshot of like this time in the life of, of, everything from the newspaper itself to politics to just daily life um yeah this is uh it's probably my favorite michael keaton performance um honestly uh, out, of, out of everything he's done and it's just a movie that not a lot of people have seen so i wanted to expose it to more i think we could have a full conversation of all the hot takes that brian said during <laughs> the statement but for uh we'll leave it there um I think we all had the exact same reaction when Brian dropped this in the chat because <clears throat> it looked like a it, the poster didn't look fake, but it looked like a like a like well, how did what movie did you just make up? Because it's like got everybody who's who's from the '90s on this poster that I've never heard of the movie prior, like at all, and we all were like, "What is this?" Like I'm interested by cast alone. Um, I think Mike could see that. Mike? Yeah, I, I saw it in theater. Of course, he had. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he double featured this and like some movie that six people got killed or whatever. He just <laughs> he, had a, he fucked up. He, he double featured this and the OJ chase. Yeah, like 
<coughs> yeah, his 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 parents put him to sleep on the OJ trial. Listen, um, <coughs> this movie has a lot of things I like about it, and a lot of things I just found very time capsule like very of the time. So it's like I bounce back and forth. But overall, I could have used more Duval. I'm always uh, more Duval in a movie. The better. I just like he's the top. But I love the contrast between him and um, uh, Glenn Coast. Uh, I think those two playing off each other were just fantastic. I think they're a perfect countermounts. I love the scene when he goes into the interview and basically. <laughs> so what are you running tomorrow? He's like, I can't believe you don't. I know, but still, and then like later down, he gets found out, and he's like, "You were sitting there with another journalist, like you know, it was all the like." <laughs> it was such a slime ball. The one thing I'm curious how everybody thought. The one person in this movie I did not enjoy that I was surprised of is Marissa Tomei. I did not like her. her. Nothing to do. Nothing, but, and I thought she was so annoying. White, like. Well, it feels to me like I mean, because this is this is two years after my cousin Vinny, so this is, pro- this is probably the first movie she was cast in right. after her win for my cousin Vinny. And so she, I'm sure oh, she's like, wow. oh, I can do more, do more prestigious films. You know, I can get in this drama. It's a nice ensemble, you know, so it's not like she's carrying everything on her shoulders, things like that. But I, I do feel it. And, and part of it, the character, the whole point of that character was, you know, his wife feels like she has nothing to do. She's on the outside of it. She used to work in this industry and she used to be this news person. But now she's home, you know, getting ready to have a baby. She's like, you know, nine months pregnant and she feels left out. But I, I will agree, though, that she feels underused because I'd, I'd love to see more Marissa Tomei. Um, but but it seems like to have somebody so recognizable, and especially like I said, coming off of an Oscar win and that, and to give her such a small part, it's like, well, why? <laughs> yeah, I actually agree with uh, Brian that um, she is like her character in general is being like uh, spoken above and always interrupted. And, I, and it spawns my favorite scene, which is she's trying to talk to Michael Keaton in the fucking office. Everyone's talking and fucking Randy Quaid yeah. pulls out the gun and fucking shoots it and says that she's trying to talk to her fucking husband. Get the hell out. That Marty it's talk to her husband. amazing. Like, it is Randy Quaid That's such a 90s moment, too. And I just, I did, I was like, like, if anybody's going to be packing heat, it's going to be Quaid in this movie of all people. And he is. Like, he's sleeping on the couch and just wakes up. He's like, oh, and he's like, all right, all right. And everybody's screaming. Who's the guy? Oh, you could Scott, you were going to say something. I'll find who I'm looking um, for. Yeah, so, I mean, I echo what everyone else says <laughs> as far as, you know, it's a movie that you look at and you're like, why have I never heard of this? Well, then you watch it. And for me, I understood why I had never heard of it because <laughs> I didn't think it was that great. Um, also, part of his look, I love journalism movies. Like, I really do. Some of my favorite movies are you know, could be classified as journalism or journalism adjacent movies. But the type that I love are the ones that are really like showing you the grunt work and like the realistic portrayal of, you know, how these people cover these stories and break these stories. And, you know, again, the spotlights, all the president's men, even something like between the lines. Um, This is not that right. Um, There's like a section in the middle of the movie that is pretty good. That is is a little bit more like that when they're kind of going around trying to get a little, a little bit more info on this story that Brian mentioned about the two kids. Um, but actually, they don't explore that sort of thing in any sort of depth. Like it just comes down to 
for them, did the did the kids do it or not? And they don't look into anything deeper of like, well, why were they the ones who were, you know, arrested for this? And or, you know, anything about sort of like the police or systemic racism or, you know, the actual causes for this. It's really just a, a question of did they do it or not? So that was one problem I had. But also the melodrama that happens in the end of the movie is just silly to me. Like the the scene that they have, she, he has with Glenn Close where they're like fighting in the press room um, was silly. And even worse is the Jason Alexander scene in the bar where she gets shot. Like, what was that? Like, I'm sorry. So I, that's where that's where... out of it. And I love the 90s. Like I do. Like I, I like crazy 90s movies like some of my favorite action movies and stuff like that are from the 90s that are just crazy stuff but i think this one rubbed me the wrong way because number one it's a journalism movie number two it like actually has like an interesting sort of and potentially important and timely story at its heart about this murder uh, thing that happens and it just kind of like ruins all of that by throwing in all of this comedy that mostly didn't work for me um go ahead Scully. yeah i i had a freaking blast with this movie like i think i think <laughs> I, think, I think the beginning of the office <laughs> it starts out with with, with, a, with like an with like an average morning where like a big story breaks with with, with a lot of sorkin-esque dialogue like not quite but it, it feels like it's oh, on the cusp okay. of that well, no i'm, I'm not gonna go full cohort or, or go, so just, take a shot no i'm just kidding go ahead no, but like, I feel like the the whole situational bit with like the walk with with like the walking and, and and talking and everyone just like just like chiming in on on, on certain unrelated things, it it, it kind of overwhelms you. But you're just so absorbed in this world, you want more. It did have that Sorkin rhythm to it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. It has the 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 rhythm. And as for the performances, I didn't like. I think Marissa Tomei was definitely un, un, under underused. I don't. I, I don't think she was bad like i think if you put another actress into that role i don't think much changes but i do think you need somebody a little bit lower profile because you expect a lot more from a character played by marissa tomei in 1994 coming off an oscar win um but i think all, all the performances are great i actually really liked randy quaid like he he, he wasn't all gung-ho crazy quite yet but like he he actually has a lot of pretty neat scenes like the scene where he and keaton go all around the city trying to get a quote from uh, a cop uh, is is great um and and i think his whole subplot with like with like the the parking guy from the city i thought it was, i thought it was just gonna just just be left like as it was and then all of a sudden you have more depressed george costanza <laughs> a bar, and then he's put <laughs> He's like, why me? Why are you picking on me? <laughs> well, you work for the city. And it's just like that line, I died. Because I, I think it's just so emblematic of like who that character is. Like he's not picking on the guy because of his role. He's picking on the guy because he works for the city. He's pissed at the city. And that's why he's doing what he does, because he's I mean, he, he's a beat reporter in New York City. Of course he's pissed at, at, at the city for everything it gives him. Um, Actually, so he's, he's a columnist. He'll tell you he's not a reporter. He's a columnist. Columnist. <laughs> he doesn't have so, deadlines. <laughs> columnist. I, I I know they get offended. Oh. Uh, but yeah, oh. I yeah, this movie's so fun. Yeah, I, I knew this movie. Was... How, uh, I think that <sighs> it starts out just like any other day, you know, kind of thing. And then I think that's the whole point is that it kind of 
builds as it goes. It's like, I mean, not, it's not like a, not a, not necessarily like a tension. It's not like a mystery necessarily, but it, it just, it builds until it gets, because, because of the deadline, in this case, a literal deadline, um, you know, we're getting towards the end of the day. And then when it gets to the end, like with the bar and then Glenn Close gets shot and everything. Yes, it does get a little bit, uh, you know, over the top and comedic at that point. But I think that's just showing how everything's getting building to chaos at the end there. And I do want to address uh, just one thing Scott said um, when he talks about how they didn't really uh, explore, you know, why these two kids were arrested or, or what why, what the cops were up to there. I, I don't think because I think that's not the story. I think that, A, the kids were arrested because a witness saw them holding the gun over the bodies. And B, the cops don't really have an ulterior motive. They, they There's even cops behind the scenes saying these kids aren't it's not going to stick. These kids aren't aren't the ones. These aren't our guys. And I'm, and it's it's more a, the story is not about. Uh, the kids or why they're afraid or anything. The story is about how the media, how the newspaper's handling it and how they're worried about just getting out the the headline first instead of getting the headline right. And getting the headline oh. where they have to do the walk and they bring <laughs> Michael Keaton to fuck one close over brings the shitty fucking photographer to try to do yeah. it. And she just gets fucking pummeled. That stumbles scene. across the best photo. Yeah. <laughs> I did like that. I did like that scene. I thought that was like, it was interesting to see how like that might play out but yeah i don't know i mean if it if it was really just going to be a if all they were interested in exploring was like you know the did they do it did they not that that sort of thing just and and how they're going to cover that like i don't know why you make it like two black kids and a white you know rich white guy that they've killed and you know the police are involved in all of this like it seems like you're setting it up to be more than it is um, i did think the, i did think the whole like oh there's a race war going on in the city i'm like yeah it feels that feels a little bit like 1964 than the 1994 it's a weird angle to go at it from but i think because the film does so much more in talking about journalism in general and i think you see that with a scene from the cop who who, who like goes off off the record and saying everything where he just goes off on them like you know i'm, I'm waiting for your your day two or your 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 your, your day three story where you like like where, where, where you say something else and then you walk it back and you try a different angle and like his perspective on the whole thing i think it shows that it goes beyond what the situation is and it's more about just the concept of what journalism is in that era so I'm just going to touch this real quick. The two craziest scenes in this entire fucking movie don't even have really anything to do with Randy Quaid, and I think is the the most confusing. The square off inside the press room, well, the printing press, is about one of the most <laughs> stupid moments of film history for me. Glenn Close and Michael Keaton squaring off, and the only person sane in the room is Quaid, which is <laughs> baffling to me. He's the one just watching everything. And then and then he finally gets into it and finally stops the press, and then this dramatic moment, and then Glenn Close goes, how long to get it to turn back on? About, about two minutes. <laughs> Do it. The fuck? Why was there a fight that just let him turn it off, let him leave the old, just turn it right back on, just move on? Um, and then the bar scene. Randy Quaid is sleeping on the couch in the office because he is scared or he th he's got somebody's out to hit him. The person that's out to get Randy Quaid is Jason Alexander. 
Why the this fuck is what he, he did when he didn't do a few good men. Remember, he was gonna be <laughs> Kevin Pollock's role, but instead he did Seinfeld and all the paper. He sits there and then this ridiculous scene, and again, I love the nineties trope or the trope in those kind of movies where the the unlikely source gives the knowledge to Glenn Close. Randy Quaid goes, Well, you know why this is happening, you know. You should care about getting it right instead of getting out first. And then then of course Jason Alexander shoots it. I think this movie has I knew this was gonna be the probably our most mix, that's why I left in the middle. <coughs> It has a lot I like, a lot I don't like, but overall, I kind of, with everybody, I think, like, the subject matter of where they're going makes sense for if they were going to do a hard piece. They decide to go against that, but keep the subject. It's weird, but I like, I kind of like the day in the day in the newspaper, just see how it is. Like, I think that was interesting, but there are some definitely 90s just cheese all over this thing that I knew Mike and Brian and <laughs> Kelly would love. <laughs> It's the perfect kind of canned cheese, like on the nachos. Like it's just right up there. Like let's go. Mm, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the exact fact. Um, it's, it's the nachos cheese. It's the nacho cheese dip at the movie theaters before it turns into rubber. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's yeah. I I can this cast. I do suggest other people like check it out because I think it's an interesting film. Um, um, I'm interested to see ratings right now, so I'm going to go with Brian. I know where his like he'll be higher up, but go oh, ahead, mine's four and a half stars for this. Uh, we'll go. Uh, we'll go Scully. Yeah, I got four and a half as well. I had an absolute blast. I, this movie just it it, it 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 does it all for me. It, it, it's funny. It, it's it's dramatic. Uh, uh, George Costanza is in it, so come on now. I'm saving Mike because I know exactly where this is going. Um, uh, yeah. um, I'm between two and two and a half. I will go with two and a half. Um, there again, there is like a section in the middle of the movie where it was more of like the the journalism grunt work, which I liked, but there's just so much nonsense around it. I, I can't really go higher than that. Yeah, when I was rating it, I was closer to three, three and a half. Um, when I was looking at, now that I'm looking at some of my ratings over the past, like it doesn't go as far as it used to. Um, I think uh, I would lean a little bit three and a half on this one. I think I had enough fun with it, enough ridiculous. And to quote my good friend Mike Hanley, I'll just steal his line. I think I know it. Randy Quaid shoots a gun in the thing and scares everybody. It's a fucking great movie. Five stars. 100% accurate. It's a great, this is definition of a great fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew exactly where it was going to go. Um, well, to pass it to Mike, we're going targets next. We're going targets. Uh, explain why you picked this, because I have a feeling why I know you this, but uh, go ahead and uh, I'll be right back. Okay, so yeah. Um, it's Boris Karloff as an aging actor who's about to retire, and um, he's going to be making one last appearance at like a drive through movie, his public appearance before he goes, and then it cuts to a guy um, named uh, fucking Bobby, who is like this just insane conservative guy who's obsessed with guns that just starts fucking annihilating everybody in his life. And then just starts going on a shooting rampage on a fucking side street. Like basically missing everybody at first, but then finally getting people. And then it just, like, it goes back and forth between him and Boris Karloff and where they're going. Like, Boris Karloff, the whole plot line is him going to the drive 
to a theater and why he wants to retire. And then it cuts back to the psychopath who's annihilating people left and right until he gets to the ending at the drive through theater and all hell breaks loose. Of course I fucking love this movie. <laughs> this is why. It's insane in the best ways. As much as you love this movie, I was... I, this movie felt... There's movies that are filmed in the, in the 60s, 70s range that just feels too real. <laughs> just feels too real. Feels like snuff film almost. Not a fan. Not a big fan of this one. Um, not a lot to go with this movie overall. Like, like reading the plot synopsis, I was like, okay, I can get on board with this. And then as soon as I brought it up to people, everyone was like, oh, Targets. Yeah. That movie. <laughs> No, not for me. I did not have as much joy. You, listen, if you were the one, like, narrating this, I'd be on board with it. Like, fucking annihilating people on the side. I'm not getting that, buddy. I'm not getting that at all. I'm getting a slow burn kind of just, like, hunt-down movie that is just unsettling almost at times. I'm curious what everybody else thought, because maybe I missed something. I'm just curious, but, like, you guys liked it. If you didn't want, like, How'd this movie go for everybody? Yeah, when uh, when I started this movie, I had to restart it twice because I thought I had just cut in, into the middle of it by accident <laughs> because there's, like, no warning. You start with what looks like a, like a, a castle, I think, or a dungeon. Boris Karloff's fucking somebody up. And then after about the third time restarting, and I'm like, all right, I, I guess this is the beginning. I think it'd be Byron Orlock's missing somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was so confused at the beginning. At the beginning, I was like, maybe, maybe. And then 80 minutes later, I was like, all right, that was fucking bonkers, and I loved it. I mean, this movie is – I'll be completely honest. I really enjoyed this movie. I think I think Boris Karloff is giving a legitimately great performance as this as this old you know actor who's just fed up with, with, with just life in general. And he's just – he – he, he's ready to just throw it all away. He's ready to just re- retire and li- live out his life. And this was like a year before Boris Karloff died. So you yeah. definitely felt like this was kind of Karloff speaking f- from the heart as well and taking out his anger at film in that era. Um, and I think Peter Bogdanovich does a tremendous job at, at, at t- telegraphing that with him. And then you have the other story, which is like, the creators of Grand Theft Auto must have watched this movie about 80 times because this feels handpicked from a GTA game. Some guy just buying a shit ton of guns, a shit ton of ammo, killing his family, and then playing Sniper on the PCH. I mean, it, it is so absolutely batshit crazy. At the end, I was like, fuck, that was awesome. <laughs> um. This is a horror movie, in my opinion. Like, I watching oh, yeah. this was like scary when you think about where we still are as a country in terms of you know mass shootings and the fact that there have been over seven hundred mass shootings in the U.S. this year. Um, I I think it's I always find it fascinating to like watch these early films from like big directors like this because obviously Peter Bogdanovich he went on and made like Oscar I mean he made Paper Moon which we talked about a couple episodes ago he made The Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc and like movies that are not like this at all right um, it reminds me like of like Stanley Kubrick and like The Killing or something like that right where he just makes like this ninety minute heist movie 
before going on and making like some of the most, you know, complex, influential movies of all time. You know, 2001 A Space Odyssey and um, Clockwork Orange and all this stuff. Um, it reminds me of that a little bit. So I think it's fascinating to watch how these people get their start when they have less money and resources to work with. And this is definitely one of those types of movies. I liked it. I think that the Boris Karloff stuff, I kind of could have taken or leaving a lot, taken or left a lot of it. Um, but I think the shooting, like the, the depiction of this guy turning into a mass shooter was the part that grabbed me because of, again, the, mo the modern day significance. And, you know, one thing we didn't mention is like, this guy's a Vietnam vet. There's probably some like PTSD situation going on here, which, you know, we have plenty of veterans in our country today, both young and old, who are probably experiencing similar sort of things. It's not being treated probably. Um, we're not getting, he, this guy's not getting the help he probably needs. And there's no explanation for it, right? And yeah, it's crazy, but also like it's realistic, right? Because half the time you read about these mass shootings and it's like, oh, I never would have expected it, right? Like this guy was the one who did it. And there's not even a motive for it. They're just like a disturbed person. And this disturbed person has the resources, right? They can walk into a gun shop and walk up and say, oh, yeah, just put it on my dad's tab or whatever. And they'll hand them all of this freaking ammo. And then he can just go up to, like, the top of the water tower or whatever and just be sniping people. Um, it's, like, it's scary in how, you know, thin the line is before somebody can just, like, snap just like that and there's no explanation for it. So I thought all that stuff was was well done and haunting. I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily a movie I want to come back to a lot. Um, but I thought that, that all of that stuff was what struck a chord with me. The Boris Karloff stuff, not as much, except him, like, slapping the guy at the end or whatever was, like, a great way to resolve everything. <laughs> yeah, like, it all built up to that. I was like, okay, sure. I feel like that there's, like two good movies in here that they'd like just kind of shoehorn together yeah. because you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a movie of, you know, this, this aging star at the end of his career and where that's going. I'd like to see Boris Karloff doing that. And, and I would like to see the story of this, this guy who becomes this, this mass shooter. It just feels like they, they don't really go together so much. They're just kind of forced together. And actually when I looked into it, it's essentially what happened because uh, Roger Corman, who's the, the producer on this, he basically told uh, Peter McDonovich, he's like, I I've got Boris Karloff for like six days still under contract from a previous movie we did. I get him for six more days. You can go make any movie you want, but you got to put Boris Karloff in it. And so he wrote <laughs> Boris Karloff's role into this movie for that reason. And it's like, and, and you can kind of tell because it kind of feels tacked on. Now it does, I mean, they do manage to, he did find a way to kind of tie it in where the whole point of the movie is like, you know, what the movies consider horror, what Boris, what in this case, Byron Orlock. Um, but what he's been acting all these years, what consider horror versus like real life horror and what, and what real horror is, because like, you know, this is 1968 when you got, you know, this around the time you start seeing these assassinations of everyone from, you know, JFK, Martin Luther King to, uh, the, the mass shootings from like the, was like a school tower or something yeah. in Texas, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, these kind of things were happening. So this was very much, this is what real horror is like. Um, but yeah, so I mean, while I don't think they blended together perfectly, I think I liked all the parts of the movie. Um, I think if this movie got made today, I think instead of creating this name Byron Orlock, I think it would just been like, you know, Boris Karloff playing Boris Karloff, yeah. which is like, you know, because like nowadays you have people who play like a like a fictionalized version of themselves, whether it be like Neil Patrick Harris and Harold and Kumar, or, you know, things like that. 
Um, so I liked the parts of it. Uh, I will say Boris Karloff, anytime he talks, all I hear is the Grinch. That will never change. Um, <laughs> so all I can hear is the narration. Uh, so it's a little distracting for me. Um, and at the end, I think it would have been cool to see him be badass and take out the shooter, but no, he just, just slaps him like a little child, <laughs> which I guess is kind of the point. He even says, like, this is what I was afraid of. Yeah. Um, but I I did enjoy it more than I expected to. I, I had never heard of this movie before. I want to say it was Boatman brought it up on some other show. I don't know if it was a... Probably logged it. Your list sucks. Probably logged. That's what it was. Um, but I had never heard of it. And then I heard Karloff playing himself, essentially himself in this movie. I put it on a watch list, never got around to it until I watched it for the show finally. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, I, I'm. my main thing is I think it just doesn't fit together fully. Like for me, I'm kind of with Scully. Like I started playing it and I was just like, wait, this is about Boris Karloff as an actor. But there's a guy shooting on the poster. So that's kind of playing just... Maybe he kills Boris Karloff. And so, like, I'm just like, what is going on in this film? It just feels completely like because we know this is now. I think the only director we've talked about twice on Roundtable in the four episodes we've done. But like, we've already got another people by whatever Peter. I'm not even going to try it. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. movie is off, by the way. Sure. Um, I like the one Paper Moon, which is a movie that I and somebody like fell in love with, and like this one feels like completely night and day, like completely different movies. So, like, I thought it was very interesting. I again, I was a little harsh on the beginning. I don't think hate is the word. It just didn't like mesh for me fully. I didn't like love moments of it. Um, but again, I mean, it's crazy how this movie just like it hits for a lot of people. It's just. It just works, I guess. It just feels completely a disjointed fucking mess for me. But yeah, um, and the way ahead. I look at it, I do think there's moments where like the editing is is, is a a little rough, and it does feel like very harshly pieced together. And there are moments where I'm like, all right, like this is this is some unbelievably heavy shit. But I think what I like a, a lot is that you take a guy from this nice, clean cut, leave it to Beaver classic. 50s, 60s family who's all grown up sort of past that stage and this is just a man who is just snapped in his mind. There's no emotion. There's no you know, remorse whatsoever until Orlock essentially just smacks him around a couple times and just like throws him down and you just see him just like lose it. Like, like lose it and then it, it's kind of almost like Joker-esque in, in a way where you think he gets picked up by the cops and all of a sudden he just reverts back in, into like his self. He's like, I hardly ever missed, did I? And when he said that, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like this guy is completely unhinged. And I think it just says a lot about society at that time. And Bogdanovich does a really good job of, of presenting that, albeit in a very harsh and rough manner. But... I mean, yeah, the, the two sides don't really mix all that well, but overall, I just I, I found myself just really enjoying almost everything I saw. You're muted. You're muted. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, I don't. I, Joker, I brought up Joker. That might be an interesting movie to bring up on the roundtable. Um, uh, for Scott's, uh, for Scott, I'll be sick uh, for that episode. Yeah. 
Um, Scott might bring it up. Um, anyways, uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, anybody else? Anything on targets? Again, I th- I don't think there's much to dive like deep because I think the movie is pretty like there. But I think again, what I will say is the two movies I've seen, I would definitely check out this movie. Um, it's got high ratings across a lot of people in this community that have seen it. Um, so I think it's I definitely. Have- Go ahead. I do have one just logistical question about something that happens in this movie. Uh, so when they're at his wife or girlfriend's house or whatever early in the movie with with her family or his family, whoever it is, and it's her family, right? Yeah. I don't remember. But anyway, um, it's, the his, mom, uh, it's his family. It is his family, yeah. yeah. His mom is like, he asked to borrow the car or something, and his mom is like, Oh yeah, just go on out there. The keys are in the ignition. Was that something that people just did back in the 60s? Like, did you just leave your keys in the ignition of the car? That seems like that would be the worst place to leave them. I think he had looked too closely at a Roger Corman production. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the fact that anybody who got shot, even like in the stomach, they were immediately dead on the floor, lifeless. Yeah. And then uh what got me is that when he was at the drive-in and he's and he's shooting people, like, okay. A gunshots a little louder than your little drive-in speaker, and also the muzzle flash that they're all staring at the screen would be coming from. It's like nobody noticed this. this yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was just one of those things where, like, in the moment, I just stopped and was like, "In the ignition?" <laughs> well, really? no, and no. I I remember. I, I guess it depends where. <clears throat> but uh, growing up. My grandfather would say, like, they would leave keys in the ignition and their doors, like, doors to their house unlocked. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe that's part of what the movie's trying to say. I have to fight to my say. parents to make know. them lock their doors. They, they still won't. Yeah, just kick in the door and be like, see this way, like, the. <coughs> so, yeah. Um, and we'll go to the last movie tomorrow. Oh, ratings on targets. Mike. Yeah, yeah. Go it's ahead. a great fucking movie. We already know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm gonna give this a. I'm gonna give this a, a. Mike Hanley. What Mike Hanley would give a four. I'm gonna give it a three. <coughs> you know, not to get any controversy. Um, Scott, I give it a three and a half. Uh, like it. It's you know, it certainly wasn't boring. Like it has some very interesting parts that really have a lot of modern day significance. But it does like feel a little slapped together in terms of like the two disparate parts of the movie. Brian, uh, I also gave it the Mike Hanley four, so three stars. <laughs> there you go. Um, and Scully, yeah, I, I, I gave it a four. Ultimately, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, with only just knocking off stuff for the some of the harsh way it's it's, it's projected. Uh, at times. Next final movie. Um, again, the other episodes, uh, check out the other episodes that we have done if you haven't seen them. Uh, the next one that we're doing um, is got three of the same characters. I'll just, uh, before we get to our last movie, um, it's got Brian, me, and um, Scott, sorry, can you remember who <laughs> you were for a second? As characters, that's fucking awesome. Did <laughs> I say that? Yeah, you were the, the same I mean, look at, we're in these boxes. We're the, the fictional characters. 
<laughs> Bro, I'm telling you right now. My sick brain is <laughs> a whole nother level. Um, USA I, I, characters welcome. Luckily, I can't even do this show today. Um, luckily, it only gets like 12 views, so we'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> Bar and Coho will be on next episode. Oh, no. So, and one has been told that they have to watch every movie on normal speed. Um, so, we'll see how that goes. The movies for next... Um, Imagine, um, imagine watching Target. Sorry to cut you off. Imagine watching Target on two times speed, and he's just ripping through all these. People. I think I might. I think I might like it more. Um, uh we're the movies we got: The Handmaid, Love and Basketball, uh, The Boys from Brazil, The Harder They Fall, and Eurovision. Um, so, uh, not gonna say who picked what. Um, I think you can. I would like to point out there are no 90s movies. I did not pick a 90s movie for once. That's true. That's true. I think you picked the new one, honestly. But, um, um, yeah, so check out our next. Well, that'll be in January. Um, for our last movie, uh, The Death of Stalin. So, uh, Skelly, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is one of, uh, like I said before, it's one of my favorite comedies ever. Uh, it, t- it takes place uh, in the early fifties, um, at the death of Joseph Stalin, and sort of the height of the Soviet, uh, U- uh, Soviet uh, 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 Union. It's sort of a comedic take on how his his cabinet and his his advisors kind of grapple for the the title of the new, you know, leader of the Soviets. Um, and there, there's just a lot of un, like incredibly funny moments in two sort of factions uh, uh, sort of approach. It's, it's there's one led by Simon Simon Russell Beale's character um, who tries to prop up Jeffrey Tambor's character as sort of a puppet leader, and then you have Steve Steve Buscemi who is more more of the same one but with a lot of more outrageous tactics. Um, so uh, uh, incredible performances all around. Um, if you know your history, you kind of know a little bit of what happens. Um, so yeah, it, it pretty much tells that that entire story for, from a comedic standpoint. Yeah, so I was kind of blown away because I'm I like history a lot. Like that's what I studied in school for uh, the four years I went. Um, <clears throat> I think. One, this movie should not work for me at all. This has very, like, I'm not going to say, like, it's not full-on Monty Python. I'm not going to say that. But, like, it has that kind of humor attached to it with as long as, like, um, there's another um, movie that's very comedic like that that is just, like, um, oh, fuck. What We Do in the Shadows? Oh, yeah, What We Do in the Shadows, The Vampire? Yeah, kind of like that situational kind of comedy, like that stuff should not work for me. But when you put it into a history element, one, some of the historic, like they stuck pretty, like it's not exactly, don't it's not accurate to what actually happened. But like, <clears throat> they get pretty, like they don't like sway to like this insane like level of Stalin's like death and stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. But the selection of characters in this movie and like the ridiculousness that ensues, like from the start of this movie had me like fully on board. Like 
<laughs> when they're sitting at the table, well, one, what a way to kick off the, like, kind of movie is, like, yeah. with the entire, like, um, um, they're performing, like, a concert or whatever, and he calls and goes, great show, whatever, uh, yeah, I'll have a person to pick up the recording soon. Are we recording? No. <laughs> Everybody set the fuck down. Like, they're running out. No one's gonna get killed. Like... The streets, yeah. <laughs> oh, bring some fat people in. How fat? Well, just bring the fat people in to fill the area. Um, we will applaud, and we will do everything, like, just like, and then they pull that the girl back there, the pianist, and she's like, "I'm not gonna do it." And they start talking ill of Stalin. And he goes, "Doesn't he have it bugged?" And they're like, "I'm sorry." Like <laughs> the situational one. Like this is not a shot on Jojo Rabbit at all. Like I know there's people that don't really like that movie, and people that don't. But the way they're able to tell this story in like it's such a comedic way is kind of like what I wish like different parts of Jojo, because Jojo's like really like slapstickish apart, but really serious. Um, <clears throat> I thought this movie was brilliant. I like the like, uh, and then when they're sitting down with Stalin and talking to him at the thing, and I can't think of the actor that plays him, but like he sits there and mentions the person's name, and Song goes, "Huh." You want to end up like where he's at? You want to like be where he is? And he's like, damn it. And they're walking out and he goes, uh, yeah, that's where you write down everything that you talked about the night before. It's the, the, the thing. And they tell that one guy goodbye. It was like, goodbye forever. Yeah. He's on the list. Like, it's just like how they address it. It's just so ridiculous. And then before we get Jason Isaac, like, his. <gasps> So good in this movie, like brilliant in this movie. I'll let somebody else talk because I can gush about this movie for a while. But whoever else wants to take some parts that they liked or anything you didn't like, go ahead. Yeah, I think this is a perfect group watch movie. As Scully has brought this on before, and we've watched this out of the group, and just the comedy bits just keep hitting and hitting and hitting. Gets funnier and funnier every fucking time. Jeffrey Tambor, I think he's fucking great in this. He is so fucking funny. (laughs) Like, just a little could be like having him uh, die by the note and laughing, and then just having them all come in and just complain about what's happening. The theater bit is always hilarious. And just everything throughout, just everything they get themselves into just keeps getting funnier and funnier as it goes along. And it matches, like you guys said, well with the historical elements of it. It matches fucking well with it. Yeah, I, so I'm not that big of a comedy guy. I don't find a lot of like contemporary comedies to be like super funny or rewatchable or you know, just a lot of them are kind of broad. I thought this was great. Um, if anything, it runs out of steam a little bit just because towards the end, just because the the opening, like it just comes out of the gate so strong. I mean, that opening sequence is unbelievable. Like it, it was genius. Um, the whole, you know, symphony and everything that's happening there sets it up perfectly. I actually think, again, another problem I have with comedies is that they're not rewatchable um a lot of them aren't i definitely think this one is because i don't think i even necessarily picked up on one all the jokes and two all of the like maneuverings and everything that is going on because i'm not familiar with this period in history and necessarily who all these people were so i enjoyed the ride but i don't know that i fully wrapped my head around everything that was happening by the end and so i'm sure that i missed a lot of humor uh, in the movie because it is one of those where the jokes are just like coming 
at you know a really fast clip but i love the general idea of um that all of a sudden they need all of these like workers basically there's like people in the working class to like help them with the preparations and everything and now that stalin's dead and they've killed he's killed everyone so like they don't have anyone that they can draw from because he's all they've all been murdered like obviously it's like incredibly dark because stalin has murdered more people than anyone in human history um but like just the there is some like seed of humor just in that very idea that crap these people are now having to like uh reap you know what they have sown right that that uh, stalin has killed all these people for no real reason and now it's like oh we actually need the doctors right to take care of him because uh you know he's dying and we don't have any doctors and all the stuff that happens with the, the people that they bring in like they're all really the shitty doctors is hilarious um and they have no idea what they're talking about uh yeah i thought this was it was fantastic i, I it was one that i've been curious about for a little bit because it doesn't seem like you know your standard like mainstream studio comedy or anything and obviously armando Iannucci, you know had has done like in loop and veep um and everything so he has a really sort of sharp ear for this political comedy and everything i thought it was great i i loved like how pitch black and everything it was it reminded me actually i just watched it it's a, a classic comedy this past week but i watched to be or not to be which i also thought was phenomenal and takes on nazi germany um in a you know similar type um setting so i thought it was great i thought I'd like this a lot more than I did, to be honest with you. Um, this this seemed like it was right up my alley, and I mean, because I like that kind of that that uh, almost farcical comedy kind of thing to it, a little political satire to it. Um, I like everybody in the cast, um, everything about it, and it's not. I I didn't dislike it at all. I didn't find anything wrong with it so much as it just. I don't know. I, I didn't find myself laughing a lot, and like after it ended, I had already kind of. It kind of already left my mind. Like even now, I was trying to think of as you guys are bringing up scenes. I'm like, oh yeah, now I remember that. And it's, it's a movie that I don't. I almost want to give it another try sometime in the future, just because I don't know. If I was in a bad mood that day. So I don't know. But all I know is that it seems like it has all the pieces that of something I would really like. Um, but for me, it just just uh, was okay. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many hilarious moments in the film from the the scene at the funeral when it when it's about the the bishops are trying to find out who invited the bishops because they all fucking hate the bishops um just to, it just, it, i know it, it's it's one of my favorite um kind of behind the scenes bits ever is that the amount of medals on uh, on jason on jason isaac's chest had to be lowered because in reality the real general had like twice as many medals on his chest and nobody <laughs> thought they would actually believe there'd be that many medals so they just took half of them off so what you actually see is like half the number of medals the actual guy actually had which you know, i think I just, makes it all the more funnier i just really does, like go ahead. i was gonna say it really does expose like how petty and childish and everything like politics is like was and still is like and the the things that they're bickering over and that it's really just about people wanting power um not no one's really interested in doing the right thing or you know bettering the nation or anything it's just 
people want to wield power so much so that like you know simon russell beale's character again is like praying for stalin to like die it's like it's like um Steve Buscemi's like character is like when he gets home and he starts talking to his wife about stuff and the next morning they're going through it and like he reads and he's like horse ah oh gotcha like the way they're picking up on things is just so brilliant and Jeffrey Tambor is the one I was referring to is like I can't keep it straight who's here and who isn't here anymore (laughs) and then they um they're like, yeah, get all the good doctors. Well, all of them are in the gulag. Yeah, he did hate those doctors. They were trying to poison him, of course. It's so no problem. Yeah, no problems from the saying. It's like, no, no, no. I didn't mean no problem. I meant no problem. Then the scene is like, it's a respirator. What is the, did you use it? Well, no. And like, it's just like, well, like, <coughs> it's it put it paints like such a dark time, like. Oh, the person, but in a, a light that I just think is like super interesting. Like, and like how those guards are like, well, he dies behind, and they're like, should we check on it? You should shut the fuck up. Like, so they're, yeah. and then they're like, you, you're gonna, and it's like, stay right where you're at. Oh, God. Like, he just like knows, like, you're fucked. He goes through, he like gets all rid of all the stuff and holds the thing up, the, like, throws it out the window. Take this now. I think it's just brilliant comedy. I think it was really good. I'm the same way. I'm like hit or miss with this kind of comedy. But again, I've been so like in school and stuff on World War II for so long just to hear the this side of it. And again, my money was like, Brian's going to love this movie. I would take that. This is actually the only movie. <coughs> I watched this on Sunday when I was sick. And I rewatched it this week again. I watched it twice in this week, just in case I picked up on things or like I had I was really sick and didn't pay attention that much. But I enjoyed it even more on the second watch. You pick up on so much more that they didn't tell you and or you didn't hear. So overall, great pick. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, again, I don't want to waste all the joke. Can if, I encourage people to watch? the movie before they watch the show like this will just be the weirdest show ever if you've never seen any of these movies you just turn in and watch it but i don't want to waste all the comedy or like quote it to death but there are so many funny moments in this that like and jason isaacs is just a freaking national treasure. like he is so uh, funny rupert everett as well who plays stalin's son he's oh, wrong yeah, the entire time and it's so funny <laughs> Like, like, like the, the bit with, with the hockey team and, and, and Russell Bill going like, I know what happened to the hockey team. You better, <laughs> better straighten the fuck up. Oh, so funny. Um, anything else on this movie? Uh, I'll just bring up real quick the barrier death at the end. Fucking gets me. I mean, it's so fucking <laughs> Just being dragged away, shot in the face, just automatic, just fucking burned, gone. It gets me every time. I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, <laughs> um, <coughs> um, so, Scully, ratings? Yeah, four and a half. On the cusp of five, but I think right now, four and a half. That's fair. Uh, I'm a four. Um, Mike? Four star, good fucking movie. Mm. Scott, four and a half. I'm looking forward to rewatching yeah. it. I this was this was a, a great first time watch for the year. I think the next time I watch, I'm going to watch it with a group because I think that will yeah. be like oh, the yeah. perfect environment. Uh, Brian, I give it a three. Okay, fair enough. <clears throat> Again, uh, thank you all for coming on. 
Uh, thank you for discussing the movies and bringing them up. Again, some of these I would never seen without it, like uh, Paper. Never heard of it prior. Um, Phoenix, never would have even... Uh, Death of Stalin, been on my list for a while, and um, Hunt Down and Shoot with Boris Karloff, you know, I never would have saw that either, so <laughs> I appreciate it. Again, if you watch this uh, to start watching, you can start watching the other ones that we're watching. Eurovision, be a first time watch for me. Um, Love and Basketball, The Handmaiden, uh, The Harder They Fall, and can I do it? Uh, the Boys from Brazil. Uh, so that will be in January. So thank you all for being on, and we'll catch you next month.